2: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Heart disease has been the leading cause of death for decades in the United States, putting much of the focus on cardiovascular disease. But what about congenital heart conditions, something affecting your heart since birth? There are 13 million adults living with congenital heart disease, and that number is growing as diagnosis and treatments advance. Survival rates have improved by 75% since the 1940s. But those diagnoses can come later in life, and even with sure signs, the need for specialized and lifelong care is often unmet. Coming up, we'll hear from one of 50 programs accredited by the Adult Congenital Heart Association in the US, right here in Connecticut. But first, we have Tracy Levicki with us. She's a social worker and psychotherapist based in Westport, and she's also the co-author of a new book, Healing Hearts and Minds, a holistic approach to coping well with congenital heart disease. Thank you so much, Tracy,
3: for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. And for our
2: listeners, let us know if you might be one of the 13 million adults living with congenital heart disease. And if you want to share your experience, find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. So Tracy, want to get into your background history in a little bit. But first, we'd love for you to sort of help us understand the range of Uh, congenital heart conditions? And can you also tell us why it's important to distinguish these from something like coronary artery disease, for example?
3: Absolutely. Those of us living with a congenital heart condition, it's a very heterogeneous group. There are over 35 different types of congenital defects, and they all are varying from severity and prognosis. Um, and, And many of these conditions are able to be diagnosed in utero um, or at birth, like in my case. But as you had mentioned, some individuals aren't diagnosed until later in life. Um, And I remember feeling a little frustrated growing up because um, people really were confused about me at, you know, being 18, 19 years old and being a cardiac patient. And they would say things like, oh, how's your diet? And do you have high cholesterol? And I used to try to, you know, explain to them that it's very different than having coronary artery disease. If you have a congenital heart condition, this is something that is an anatomical defect that is basically um, developed in utero. And it is a lifelong condition. There is absolutely no cure for this. So it's something that, as you had mentioned, does require lifelong specialized care. Um, when you look at coronary artery disease, that's something that has developed over time, is progressive, and is often linked to lifestyle, cholesterol, and diet. So there is a really big difference between the two.
2: And here, of course, we're emphasizing that even though congenital means you're born with it, the timing of the diagnoses for these heart uh, heart conditions can also be varied, right? Because sometimes people don't even know they had it or they have it until much later.
3: That's right. Yeah, sometimes they um, just find out about it because maybe a murmur is picked up. In their um regular annual physical, sometimes, though, they may have more severe symptoms um, and they don't know about it. And this is something that I've always wondered, why isn't everybody getting an echocardiogram early on so that these issues can be identified and any, you know, issues that may result from it can be um can be remedied
2: and can you share a little bit about your story, Tracy? It's actually where the book begins.
3: Sure. Yeah. So I was born in the late 60s with a condition called uh, transposition of the gray arteries. Um, My two major arteries were reversed. So um, I was, you know, I was just not receiving the oxygen that I needed to live. And um, I was born in a smallish type hospital. And the doctor told my very young parents back then, you know what, there is a brand new surgery that she could have, but I would not recommend it because she'll be in for a lifetime of surgeries and poor quality of life. So my parents called in the priest and they did last rites and something happened within the next couple of hours where they changed their minds. And um, my dad took me in an ambulance to Yale actually. And um I had a, a very new procedure done. And now 56 years later, here I am working in the field. And I wanna make it very, very clear that while I have had a lot of different surgeries, I have had a really meaningful and full life, and I continue to could have that. So, um, you know, I was one of the first to benefit from these very new technologies um, that that came out of the mid 60s.
2: Well, and as you're sharing that, I just cannot imagine being told that as a young parent. You know, how do you make a decision like that uh, in that moment? I would love to ask you, too, how did you and uh, Lisa Morton, who you uh, co-authored the book, and she's a psychologist, how did the two of you get connected and set out on writing this book? You also shared earlier that you had an outline for this for some time.
3: Yeah, that's right, Catherine. So Lisa is actually in Scotland. So I had never even heard of her, and I was giving a talk on um, body image and congenital heart disease, and I was doing some research on that, and I came across these really cool slides and images from an art exhibit that she had actually um, helped to produce, and it was these photos of um, individuals with heart conditions showing their scars, and I had reached out via email, and I asked her, could I please use some of these slides For my talk and she of course gave me permission and we stayed in touch and we started having you know virtual coffees occasionally and one day one of us just mentioned that we were writing a book and we exchanged outlines and they were almost identical so um, we decided to work together on this and i gotta tell you a lot of people said oh my gosh you're crazy you're you know you're starting this huge project with someone you've never met but it really turned out well while I was asleep, Lisa was writing, and while she was asleep, I was writing. And so we got it done pretty quickly, and um, and I really love the way it came out. And we were both very committed, and I think you had mentioned she's also someone who was born with a heart condition. So we both had that commitment um, to get the message out there.
2: Well, I think the two of you just uh, gave the word productivity a different level. They're <laughs> working at the same time on this, and we touched on this a little bit earlier. But what would you say are some of the most common misconceptions about congenital heart disease?
3: Um, well, I think the first is that there's a cure. Um, I remember when I was younger, my parents were told that I, I was I was done. I you know it was fixed, and I certainly wasn't. Um, So that's a big one. Um, Another misconception is that folks with congenital heart disease, once they reach adulthood, can see a regular cardiologist. Most regular cardiologists are not trained to treat congenital cardiology. So I I had dropped out of specialized care for a few years in my early 20s, thinking that that was okay. Um, And I would just go every so often. And it certainly was not okay, because I ran into a lot of issues in my 20s. Um so I would say those are probably two of the biggest ones. One other is that you know people um meet me and they don't always know that I have this hidden disability because our scars are oftentimes not always but oftentimes covered. So I I really believe most everybody out there knows somebody walking around who is born with a congenital heart condition but may not even realize it.
2: And later in the show, we'll talk more about that specialized care, and we'll also run through some of the tips that you offer in your book, especially on the mental health front. Can you talk more broadly about how you wove psychology into this holistic approach?
3: Absolutely. So um, a lot of the research was coming out that showed that um, the risks for folks with CHCs or congenital heart conditions was more than double the general population. And I came across study after study, again, um, more recently, but one that really stuck in my mind was that adults with congenital heart conditions worry, uh, suffer silently and worry alone. Um, Another one found that 69% of individuals who were in need of mental health support didn't receive it, weren't referred for that. So it really is being underdiagnosed and undertreated. I remember in my 20s, Um, I had been in the hospital probably eight or nine times um, in two years and I went in for a surgery and I looked at the doctors and I said, I need to talk to someone about this. You know, I'm really stressed out and um, can, can you find someone that just does some breathing exercises with me or something to help me feel more calm and comfortable for my surgery? And they didn't have anyone. The next day, they pulled someone from the playroom, so it was a play therapist who was used to working with kids. Um, that didn't help me. And they finally found someone from oncology, and she was amazing. Just a few breathing exercises that we did helped me feel more emotionally prepared to get into that surgery. And so I looked at them when I recovered and said, why don't you have someone like this? Um, and that's where I started my advocacy work and my research and speaking around the country.
2: It is pretty mind-blowing, I think, that that wasn't available, which leads to uh, one of the major factors that your co-author psychologist, Lisa Morton, focus o- focuses on is the prevalence of medical trauma and how that factors into the experience. And so let's take a listen to to Lisa.
4: I have had, I don't know, maybe 20 or so cardiac surgeries, um, and I don't know thousands of procedures i have to go for annual appointments and at the hospital and i know that i will need new pacemakers for the rest of my life so that never ends there's never a point at which i can think this is over so we have to find a way to face that trauma again and i think that's seldom acknowledged so how do you go back and face that situation and I don't think it's particularly well acknowledged um, when you go for just a routine appointment, how challenging it can be to even just step over the threshold of that hospital door because of the sights, the sounds, the smells, all of the memories, um, and in addition to worrying about what are they going to find this time. And what Tracy and I try to do throughout the book is to talk about trauma, but talk about it in terms of There's more and more studies coming out looking at the mental health outcomes for people with CHD. And in one way, that's great. But in another way, I feel very strongly, well, OK, we've established this now. What are we doing about it? Um, And and we're very used to being measured and being patients and having, you know, studies written about us. You know, what I'd like to see is actually how do we embed this within medical culture to um, go upstream, basically, and prevent Tracy and I are great advocates of we would love to see mental health support embedded in all cardiac, um, congenital cardiac teams from cradle to grave because we just think that it is normal to have an emotional response to all of this stuff and it would be more preventative if there was somebody there to support that side of things.
2: So Tracy, Lisa here really broke down what you were talking about earlier, you know, walking into the hospital room so many times and, and essentially getting these really emotional responses just by being there. You know, what's your response to what Lisa has to say here?
3: I mean, she's absolutely right. I have the same experience. Um, I also have a lot of history of medical trauma um, that was never really talked about. Um, you know, nobody, I remember even being a teenager when I got my first pacemaker at age 12 and then it actually was defective and I needed to go back and forth two or three times to get it changed. I remember thinking something's wrong here, but I didn't really have the words for it. You know, no one was asking me, how are you doing? I know this is hard, you know, gaps in education, missed school feeling. And also outside of that medical trauma, it's about feeling differently from your peers, right? I didn't really have any friends or peers that had had a similar experience to me. So I wasn't able to really talk to them about it. Um, So, you know, I I remember growing up feeling very different. And I think that that can be avoided. I think that with that embedded psychological support, um, awareness and um, full-time team, you know, that's really there. To screen for any history of trauma, any current psychosocial issues, and to be able to refer individuals out to community resources when needed, I think is so important.
2: You've been listening to Tracy Levicki, who's a social worker and co-author of Healing Hearts and Minds. She'll be staying with us and we'll continue this conversation after a quick break and hear from one of 50 programs for adults accredited by the Adult Congenital Heart Association right here in Connecticut. And we want to hear from you too. If you have a congenital heart condition and would love to share your experience, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. We've been talking about congenital heart disease. Congenital describes a condition that you're born with. The Adult Congenital Heart Association has accredited 50 medical organizations here in the US for the specialized care they provide. There are two in Connecticut, including the Adult Congenital Heart Program at Yale, and joining us now is their director, Dr. Robert Elder, He's also an associate professor of pediatrics and internal medicine in cardiology at yale school of medicine thank you so much dr elder for being with us today
1: thank you for having me Catherine. it's a pleasure
2: and still with us is tracy levicki who is a connecticut social worker and co-author of healing hearts and minds and for our listeners you can also join the conversation leave us a comment on facebook and twitter at where we live So, Dr. Elder, you've been listening to the conversation with Tracy. Love to get your thoughts about um, this holistic approach that Tracy and and Lisa are advocating for.
1: Yeah, first I want to say congratulations and kudos to Tracy and and Lisa for seeing this work through to completion and really being an important voice and advocate for patients with congenital heart disease. I, I think you heard earlier in the segment that congenital heart disease can feel very isolating and i think it's really important to see this work and have it as a resource for patients families and healthcare providers who are taking care of this group um, you know we we're very lucky and I'm, I'm privileged to take care of this group of patients and work with a collaborative um, group at yale um, for the program for adults with congenital heart disease and um really it requires a village to take care of these patients Um, it requires a cardiologist who has expertise in their heart disease in particular congenital heart disease it requires nurses it requires specialists in other areas and it requires an approach that involves mental health specialists too and we're lucky in our clinic to incorporate a social worker Um, who sees and meets our patients and is a resource for patients um, who need uh, help and special attention to their mental health as, um, as their life goes on.
2: And so, Dr. Elder, there are a growing number of programs like yours that specialize in treating adults with congenital heart conditions, but there's still only 50 accredited by the Adult Congenital Heart Association. That number seems pretty small to me. What do you hear from your patients? Is this is this new for them? Do they realize that they have this program available for them?
1: Yeah, I think it's important for people to realize that the field of taking care of adults with congenital heart disease is a relatively new field overall. Um, you know, I, th- I think Tracy mentioned this at the start of the show, but a lot of people didn't really know that they needed lifelong specialized care. And so the messaging that we have today for infants born with congenital heart disease is very different than what we have now. And so we know that gaps in care are actually quite common. And something like 40% of patients with moderate uh, complex heart disease had a significant gap in care over their lifetime, as I think occurred uh, Tracy to Tracy, because Um, It wasn't something that you were told that you need to do. So when people do find out that there is specialized places that they can go and get care from someone who understands their heart disease, but also understands the other things that they're going through, it's often quite a revelation for patients. And I've had people come to me. Who have seen other providers over the years who are excellent doctors but may not be specialists in their condition and they have in some cases been been given the wrong advice about major life things you know things about their health things about pregnancy things about prognosis and so you could imagine the relief uh on those patients and families when they finally get to some place and a group of of people and clinicians that that know about their unique heart issues
2: right and i i think as- both you know, patient and medical officials continue to learn about this relatively new field. We also mentioned earlier that survival rates um, for CHD have improved by 75% since the 1940s. So can you talk about what generally happens if a person does not get specialized adult care? Do they age out of pediatrics and just sort of move on from it and, and go to the hospital when something happens? You know, What happens after that?
1: That's exactly right, Catherine. So- a lot of um, a lot of conditions are treated uh, in childhood, and we do a, a good job of treating them. But we know that that for the vast majority of heart disease conditions that are treated in childhood, um, repaired like surgical repair is not cured. And I think that's an important thing to recognize. But a lot of people go on with their lives and want to, you know, lead their lives. They go to find jobs, find a romantic partner, move out, you know, move on with their lives, and then. They're suddenly surprised sometimes at a younger age than is typical for many of the acquired cardiovascular diseases, so maybe in their 20s or 30s or 40s, when they're suddenly facing a new and unexpected medical problem, something like a heart rhythm problem or a complicated pregnancy or new symptoms that they weren't expecting. And so one of the things that we have started to do and one of the things that I do when I'm I'm taking care of children with congenital heart disease is I start to remind families and patients when they're old enough to understand very early on that this is a a lifelong medical condition and no matter where you go in your life or the world it's always going to be important to check in with someone who understands your heart disease
2: and as we're talking about this especially for for adults who may not know they they might have a a congenital heart condition what advice would you offer listeners around um, screening for the condition
1: yeah, most of these diagnoses are made in childhood. So there are rare examples, probably on the order of ten to twenty percent, that that are diagnosed um, in adulthood. But the vast majority are diagnosed in in childhood. So one of the one of the advice pieces that I would have to people is if you had a childhood heart condition and you had you know if you have a scar in your chest or you had surgery when you're younger, you should check in with a specialist who knows about your unique condition. For the, the 10 to 20% that are diagnosed into adulthood, that's a little bit more challenging because they can present with a variety of symptoms. And sometimes it takes quite a while to get to the, the bottom of the diagnosis. Right. So, you know, asking thoughtful questions your, to your providers, explaining your symptoms, you know, it's never wrong to seek a second opinion if you're not happy with the advice you're getting. But in some cases, I have seen examples of of later diagnoses of, Uh, congenital heart disease that presents as adults. But again, that's the minority of cases.
2: And Dr. Elder, you also run a camp for kids with congenital heart conditions here in Connecticut. Can you tell us about that? And why is it important to have something like that available for children?
1: Yeah, so many of the empowerment uh, that we talk about in terms of enabling successful transition for children and adolescents into adult care um, starts with building the foundation of empowering patients to have the knowledge and the expertise to seek the care that they need and um so about six years ago we started a camp called ct heart camp and you know the main purpose of camp is fun but the the secret purpose of camp is really to enable kids to uh, learn about their heart disease and also to be able to connect with other people. You know, I think one of the important things, Catherine, that a lot of people don't realize is that congenital heart disease is the most common birth defect. About one in a hundred kids is born with some form of heart issue. But for many people, many adults that I take care of living with congenital heart disease and many people with congenital heart disease, they have never met someone who has a heart disease like them. And so when the kids come to camp, And they meet someone else they go down to the water to the lake to take off their shirt and go swimming and they say oh my gosh you have a scar in your chest and i have a scar in my chest and i've never met anybody like that it's a very empowering thing to feel like you're not alone in the world and there's someone else um, going through that and i'll just tell you one quick story we we were not able to have the camp Um, during the pandemic because no overnight camps were allowed. And I know that two of our campers missed having that opportunity. And so they got together on a town green somewhere in Connecticut and stood six feet apart and just chatted to catch up. So it's such an empowering thing to be able to connect with someone else who has a similar heart disease like yourself.
2: Well, and Tracy, I would love to get your responses because earlier we were talking about how isolating this experience can be and the fact, and you also mentioned that you didn't meet anybody who had a similar condition as yourself until you're in your twenties. And that's a long time to find to find a friend, right? So can you talk about the importance of the need for community?
3: Absolutely. I mean, one of the most protective factors psychologically is strong social support. So it is so important. And um, one of my roles as a clinical social worker is I'm also a mental health consultant at the Adult Congenital Heart Association, and I help them put together a peer mentorship group um, or peer mentorship program for adults. And we have adults that we can match all around the country. I think right now, We have about 50 um, mentors or volunteers, and they are other individuals with a variety of congenital heart conditions, and we match them with other adults who might need some extra support. Um, And those adults, many of those adults that call this organization also had never met another individual. And I'm talking about even people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. So um this program called the peer mentorship program is free, um, you know, and if anybody, uh, if you're over the age of 18, and you want to connect with someone, it's a great resource to feel connected. We also have parent mentors. So if you're a parent of an adult child, you could call up and be matched with another parent as well.
2: And that's a great. I love that point because it's not just one person. It's also the people that, um, that are with the patients, like the parents you mentioned, and also their friends and family. And, and Dr. Elder, I want to ask you real quick too, we talked about the ways that congenital heart disease is also a kind of invisible disability because if you look at a person, you might not be able to tell, but if you take your shirt off and you see the scars and suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, you know, you have this condition. So can you talk about this um, in a sense that it still is an invisible disability? Is that something that you're you're talking about with your patients?
1: It is something that I'm talking about with patients. And it's also something that I think is really important for us to raise and talk about. And I appreciate Tracy and her work because I think it's a one platform to talk about that. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it on the show today. You know, I often give the example that congenital heart disease is about 50 times more common than childhood cancer. And yet I think a lot of us know about child cancer and think about it and receive information about it asking for donations but don't recognize that congenital heart disease is 50 times more common and um, I think because many of those scars are visible or hidden it doesn't often get the same recognition on a national level in terms of policy in terms of financial resources in terms of research investment that it deserves um. So I think that you know, advocating through um, books and speaking and work, and through the Adult Congenital Heart Association, which is a really powerful national organization that focuses on the patient experience and the peer-to-peer mentoring, as Tracy mentioned, and also the accreditation um, for our program and others around the country has been a really important example. Um, to help people and sort of raise awareness about the, the common condition and how important it is in the landscape of overall heart disease.
2: And Tracy, we'd love to ask your response to what Dr. Elder just said. Uh, we are, we're going to get into more of the mental health care uh, later on in the program, but just anything else you'd like to add? You know, What do you hope to accomplish with your book?
3: Um, one of our main goals was to really provide a sense of connection and hope to individuals out there living with a heart condition. One of the things I am most proud of in the book is we have over 40 testimonials. They're all anonymous, but they're all over the world. We have testimonials from patients, families, and physicians. Um, One of the testimonials that stands out, um, and I'm reminded of it after what Dr. Elder had said, was someone who had said that they were fighting breast cancer and at every turn, they were offered emotional support of some kind. And she wondered why she was never offered that in her 40 years as a congenital heart patient. So um, I think it, it is so important. And um, yeah, and you know, in terms of the book, you know, we just really wanted to bring awareness not only to patients, but also to family members. Um, the first part of our book Talks about some of the history and some of the challenges that we face. But the second part of our book focuses on what to do about it. So it's full of evidence based strategies to come, you know, to, to, to use if you're feeling anxious, if you have a low mood, if there's any post traumatic, you know, stress involved. We have a chapter for family and friends. On um, advice on how to, you know, support your loved one. And we also have a chapter for healthcare providers talking about um, psychologically informed medicine and how that can really help patients to reduce their risks of developing a mental health, um, you know, issue and increase their protective factors to protect them moving forward in life.
2: And Dr. Elder, we got about a minute here, so final question for you. Um, any big takeaways that you hope our listeners can can get from this conversation today?
1: Well, I think the the idea, if our listeners know that congenital heart disease is common, it's one in a hundred, and that you're not alone in the world, and there are resources out there, um, clinics and programs that specialize in taking care of adults with congenital heart disease, such as ours at Yale. Um, mental health support, uh, people like Tracy and other mental health professionals who have expertise. And then I think that if they know that there are resources available to them, I think that that is a a really meaningful step toward uh, living a healthier and successful
2: life. You've been listening to Dr. Robert Elder, who is the director of the Adult Congenital Heart Program at Yale. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Elder.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: And after a quick break, Tracy Levicki will give us some tips for factoring mental health care in congenital heart disease treatment. And for our listeners, share your experience with congenital heart disease. Leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. And a re- quick reminder for our listeners that it is our fun drive. You can support our station with a pledge by going to ctpublic.org donate. And here are two of my colleagues with more. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. This hour we're hearing from the author of Healing Hearts and Minds, a new book all about the improving treatment, diagnoses, and treatment options for those with congenital heart disease, as well as the need for mental health supports. Our guide this hour is Tracy Lavicki. She's also a Connecticut social worker and co-author of Healing Hearts and Minds. And we're going to jump straight to it. We have a caller on the line, a Dr. Natalie, who might be familiar to Tracy. Natalie, you are on the air. Oh, good morning. My name is
0: Natalie D. Leuchtenberg, better known by Tracy as Dr. D., and I am a retired pediatric cardiologist. It has been my privilege to be part of a team of pediatric cardiologists at Yale in saving Tracy's life when she was born. Since then, she has undergone many cardiac procedures during her life, but has become a mother of two beautiful girls and became a clinical psychologist or therapist, to many dealing with the psychological effects of cardiac illness, which she published in this remarkable book, Healing Hearts. I just wanted to recommend this book to anybody that has gone through any cardiac problems. It has been a very rewarding experience for me to know Tracy, and it validates my desire to become a physician, physician, pediatrician, cardiologist.
2: Well, thank you so much for calling in, Dr. D. And I would love to just ask you really quickly you know, what would you say about Tracy's focus on mental health and also the importance of that in treating CHC?
0: Well, she is really a, a remarkable young woman. I don't know what else to say, except she's been through so much. Yet when you meet her, she is the most, uh, how shall I say, relaxed, uh, kind, and a very brilliant, intellectually uh, woman who uh, wrote such a beautiful book with another partner. And I certainly recommend it to anybody that has gone through any cardiac situations.
2: Well, thank you so much, Dr. D, for calling in and sharing your amazing experience with us, uh, with Tracy. And, and Tracy, we're all pretty much in tears here, but still want to ask you, you know, what's your response to Dr. D's praise?
3: Well, I also have tears in my eyes. Dr. D is my lifelong heart friend, and I am so privileged to have had such a long history with her. She was the young, courageous fellow that actually performed the first procedure at Yale on me and saved my life. Um, And I am so grateful to her and um, grateful for our friendship and just honored to hear all these amazing compliments. I'm also blessed blushing, by the way. Well, I mean, that's a good
2: thing <laughs> for this morning. And and I mean, as you say, you know, she was a young doctor. So it, it's I mean, my mind is just blown that that was something that she did at the time. And and you also, you know, speaking of that, too, you talk about in the book about the phenomenon of growing up as a miracle baby or also a pioneering patient, which both you and your co-author, Aliza Morton, were and have talked about. Can you help us understand, you know, what what, what are your thoughts about that?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, as a pioneering patient, we were one of the first individuals to go through some of these very new technologies and surgeries. So they're basically learning on us. Um, and thankfully, you know, thankfully we were um, because if I had been born a few years prior, I would not be here today. So for that, I'm grateful. And um, when I think back to my childhood care I will just tell Dr. D that I did look forward to seeing her for those checkups because she was always such a bright light of sunshine. Um, and that is a fond memory that I have um, of working with her. So I was really lucky in that sense. Um, and you know, while transposition of the great arteries is a very complicated and complex condition, children born with that today are gonna have a very different kind of treatment than I had. Um, so I think it's just important to put it out there there are new technologies now that they're using that um you know might be a little bit a little bit possibly easier I'm not sure
2: Right. And, and of course, we've been sort of talking about the importance of mental health support during this, this conversation. And you have guidance throughout your book from tips talking to loved ones about your congenital heart conditions to letter writing or gratitude journals. Or as you mentioned, you were at the hospital asking for someone uh, just to help you with breathing techniques and whatnot. So what are some of the tips that you find most helpful from your experience or most important for this
3: book? Um, Yeah, so I would say um another thing that I would recommend that people ask for, if you are going in for surgery, ask if your hospital has an alternative um, medicine department. And I did that years ago and, and my physician didn't know if they did or not. And they found someone and that individual was able to help me to prepare emotionally for my surgery. And it was so wonderful. So I would say, ask, ask for what you need ask your your center do you have any kind of mental health support or referral system um ask for help if you need it um i think also exercise or movement is very important and i think that a lot of adults are confused by that because when many folks were younger they were advised against exercising now i was really lucky because Dr. D used to tell me and my family that I could do whatever I felt I could do. So listen to my body. That was the messaging I got. So I grew up exercising, not pushing myself, but I've always had that as a part of my life. Um, And I'm grateful for that. But a lot of the individuals that I work with were told, no, you can't exercise. It's dangerous. And now they're seeing that that wasn't necessarily the right advice. So I would recommend that you go in, talk to your cardiologist, ask them, what can I do safely? If your cardiologist isn't sure, have an exercise test and put together an exercise plan. Anything from walking to yoga to chair yoga, even. I think that is one of another very important pieces of mental health that really makes a huge difference.
2: And so we've got about two minutes here, but I want to ask the same thing I asked earlier with Dr. Elder is you know, we've been talking about raising awareness. We're talking about needing more mental health support when you have congenital heart disease. We've covered so much ground this hour, but are there any other takeaways that you hope our listeners can, can take away from this conversation?
3: Um, absolutely. I think that you you need to have hope. Um, technology is always changing. And what I tell people is do not define yourself by your congenital heart condition. For instance, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a writer, I'm a counselor who happens to have a congenital heart condition. I'm not going to be defined by that. And I really have met hundreds of people in my work that are not only surviving, but they're thriving despite their condition.
2: You've been listening to Tracy Levicki, who is a Connecticut social worker and co-author of Healing Hearts and Minds, A Holistic Approach to Coping Well with congenital Heart Disease. Thank you so much, Tracy, for sharing your hope and your experiences with us today.
3: Thank you so much for having me, Catherine.
2: And a quick reminder for our listeners that it is our fun drive. You can support our station with a pledge by going to ctpublic.org slash donate. I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you always for listening.